0: So today we are continuing with our series, Learning to Walk in the Dark. We're in the darkest time of the year where the days are the shortest and the nights are the longest. We're in a really difficult, dark year this year in 2020, and so we're, we're looking at how can we reimagine what darkness is like, what darkness is, what it's all about. Now, since we entered into December, you probably noticed in your neighborhood that Christmas decorations are going up everywhere, right? I, like I drive through during the day and I just see more and more decorations all over the place. And I, I put something out on Facebook and said, hey, if you put up some decorations and you want to share, send them to me. And, and so many of you did that I, <laughs> I couldn't use them all. So what I did is I, I made a short little video, like a 40 second video, just so we could get a glimpse into people's homes and their houses, what they look like. Just another way for us to, to connect in these strange times. So take a look at what people send in. So just a little glimpse into some of the ways people are decorating their homes. This time of year is really fun because you drive by during the day. I find this amazing. You drive by during the day and you don't really notice how people have decorated their homes. Maybe you see a decoration outside, a blow-up creature of some sort, (laughs) like a Yoda, a baby Yoda or something. And then all of a sudden you go by at night and the lights are everywhere. You didn't even see it during the day because something happens. We see things differently in the dark than we do in the light. And this is true in our story today. So the scripture we're looking at is a story of Joseph. And and you're very familiar with the story. Joseph learns that Mary's pregnant. And he gets upset and and he decides he's going to call off the marriage. Uh, They're actually technically married. In the tradition back then, you were married uh, and kind of in phases. And so they were already married. They had one more step to take. And Joseph said, no, you're pregnant. This isn't going to happen. And then something shifts and changes, right? An angel shows up. And afterwards Joseph changes his mind. So I want us to look at this story, and as we do, just pay attention to when the angel shows up. Let's just start there. When does the angel show up and talk to Joseph? This comes from Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Because he didn't want to humiliate her, he decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he was thinking about this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. May God add a blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the living out of this scripture. So did you notice when the angel showed up to talk to Joseph? Showed up in a dream, right? The angel shows up in a dream, which means it must have been nighttime, unless it was Sunday afternoon and Joseph fell asleep watching the football game. But we all know that can't be because they don't watch football over there. They, they watch soccer. So it had to have been night. So Joseph uh, is asleep at night, and this angel shows up in the dark. And the thing about darkness, the thing about what darkness says to us and speaks to us and shares with us is that it doesn't teach us anything new. It teaches us what we didn't realize we knew. See, the angel shows up and doesn't tell Joseph about Mary like Joseph didn't know. Joseph already knew what was going on with Mary. The author sets that up for us, remember? Now, the author says, oh, yeah, so Joseph was engaged to Mary. and Mary got pregnant, right? The author gives the whole rundown of what's happened. And then the angel shows up and talks to Joseph. But Joseph's already mad. Joseph already knows all this. He's already written off the wedding, right? So at the beginning, this is just, I think, a really subtle but important detail that Joseph knows Joseph knows, so the angel shows up and doesn't tell him anything new, but tells him what he already knew, but had missed seeing. Yep, Mary's pregnant. And then uh, sometimes people read this and they, they see the story of the angel and interpret it as, well, the angel comes and says this to Joseph to convince Joseph that what Mary said is real. And I think that's a fine interpretation. I want to offer you a different one, though. A different one that is around this whole image of darkness. Why does the angel come at night? Why is it in a dream? What happens in the midst of that? And, And I just want to suggest to you that what happens in the dark is that it awakens things in us that we're not aware of in the light. And so there's a reason that this story isn't about... Joseph believing Mary and trusting in Mary. This story is about Joseph and Joseph coming to understand some things about himself. That's what darkness does for us, after all. So in the 90s, there was a, 1990s, by the way, I guess we, we should clarify. So in the 90s, there was a pastor, his name was Jurg Spielman, and he was blind, and he would invite people over to his home, people from his church, people from his community, he'd say, hey, come and eat with me, and when they showed up, he would blindfold them. And he so said, you're going to eat like, like I eat and experience life like I experience it. Because what he found is that when people couldn't see, they, other things became clearer and heightened and more aware. So the conversation became more beautiful and the food tasted better. And he also wanted people to know this is what it's like to be blind. This is, this is how you navigate the world when you can't see. And so he partnered with three other entrepreneurs who were also blind and they started uh, a dark, a completely dark restaurant in a Methodist chapel in Zurich. And this is the first of his kind, that's blown up after this, so this is about 1998 or 1999. And so you've probably heard of restaurants you can walk into and it's all dark inside and you eat in the dark. And the basic setup for most of these restaurants, if not all of them, is you walk in, and there's a dimly lit lobby, and there you drop off all anything that lights up, your, your Fitbits or your watches or your cell phones, anything like that gets locked up and you're not allowed to bring it in. You order your food, you pay for it, and then someone, usually in these restaurants, uh, they hire people who are blind or can't see very well, and they become the workers. And they get to lead people and show them, hey, this is what life is like. And so they lead them into the restaurant and they sit down and they eat a three-course meal in the pitch black. And as I was, I'm reading some of these reviews of the restaurants, what's it like? What are people saying? And so many people talk about spilling food all over themselves, right? They're, they're just, I don't know how to fill up a water glass in the dark. How do I know when it's filled, right? How do I get food on my fork and from the fork to my face without dropping it all over me? And people are talking about like ending up eating with their hands. People are suggesting wear all black when you go, especially if you're going to go somewhere after because you're going to get food all over yourself, <laughs> And one guy, Nick, this is what he says. He says, when the first course came out, I took my shirt off. I mean, why not? No one could see me. I considered taking my pants off too, but I worried I would lose them in the dark. Regardless, I ate without a shirt for the entire meal. Felt good. <laughs> I mean, this was his attempt that I, I, I didn't think about. I was going to drop food all over myself. Right, so let me just, no one can see me. I'll just take my shirt off, right, which is kind of funny. Um, and people mention a lot about spilling things, but people mention a lot of other things, like this woman from Cincinnati, this is what she says. And we'll put that image up. Yeah, she says, the dinner was amazing. We could hear other conversations, smell the delicious foods, and follow the conversations of family members closer in the dark than in a normal setting. My niece, who is visually impaired, stated that this meal was similar to how she eats in a dimly lit restaurant at home. And this restaurant was very close to her reality. I enjoyed the evening with her. We laughed more than usual. We talked about the great foods and our evening in Zurich was certainly a good time. Because it was dark, this woman says, oh yeah, the conversation was better. The, the, the food tastes better. I got to see a different perspective. Everything became a little deeper and a little more meaningful in so many ways. The darkness just heightens our sense of awareness in some ways. The light doesn't. Now, obviously, dark can be scary. Night can be scary. Sitting in a restaurant like that can be scary. Some people loved it. Like this person, um, Minnie Sylvia Minnie is a username. She said, At the beginning, I was scared, and I had really bad feeling about entering the room. I thought I couldn't make it. But after a few minutes, I started getting used to the darkness. But you can't really see anything I touched everything on the table and got a bit more comfortable I'm happy I fought against my fear because it was absolutely worth it we spent almost three hours there and the time flew and because she got comfortable in the dark she said yeah oh man there, there's this is good this is great I can enjoy this I'm learning things that, But other people, as you can imagine, this was a terrifying experience, a very uncomfortable experience. Like uh, Pedro B. 71, this is what he, he wrote. He said, My son wanted to go, and I wasn't so sure about this. I'm glad I went, but the experience was unsettling. First, you must remove and lock up all devices that emit light, even watches, phones, and Fitbits. Did I mention that there was no light? The experience can be difficult. Are you prepared to fill up your wine glass in the dark, pour water into your water glass, eat without seeing your food? Time seems to fly, yet stand still. I had no idea how long we were there until we exited. We were there for three and a half hours. It is worth one visit, but I don't know if I could return. I'm not usually claustrophobic, but towards the end of the meal, I was getting anxious and wanted to get out. Can you hear his anxiety and his... Fear and his worry, and just how uncomfortable he is in the dark. I think that's how so many of us feel in the dark, and maybe not all of us, but a lot of us, and, and especially our whole culture, that we're very uncomfortable with darkness and not being able to see and unsure of where things are. You know, Miriam Greenspan has been a psychotherapist for over thirty years. Ten years into her practice, into her career, she had a son, her first son, and he passed away in the hospital. He stayed there for two months, and he never left, and he died. And the kind of grief she carried with her, it just isn't the kind of grief that goes away quickly. She said she noticed, you know, people, people understood and people were gracious with her and, and caring for her and, uh, for one month for two months, but as time went on, people became more and more uncomfortable with how she was feeling, more and more uncomfortable with the grief. Say, I'm not sure that you should still be grieving, right? That somehow there's like a time frame where it's okay to feel a certain way, to feel sad, to feel grief, and then all of a sudden everything flips and transitions, and then it's not healthy. And she says, grief is inevitable, inevitable. In all of our lives, we're going to grieve. We're going to have sadness. We're going to have a loss. People we love who die. Struggles in our own lives. It's a normal thing to go through, and yet somehow we say if you don't get past this emotion at a certain time, uh, it becomes an illness. We, we label it as depression, and we give people medicine for it. Now, I'm not saying we, we shouldn't take medicine for depression. Absolutely, there are instances and circumstances where that is very appropriate, but what she's saying is that we are so uncomfortable with some emotions with some things that she calls dark emotions that we turn them into a sickness and an illness instead of dealing with them just because we don't want to deal with them so she calls them dark emotions because not because they're bad emotions are bad. She calls them dark emotions because that's where we like to hide them. We like to hide them in the dark. We like to push them back in the dark and say, we're not going to deal with these. We, we want to ignore these. We want to pretend like these aren't happening. That's probably what's happening for many of us right now during this season, right? This is the holiday season. This is a time where we're, we're used to being with people we love, and, and every year, there's probably somebody in the back of your mind who used to be able to come to a gathering, a Thanksgiving gathering, a Christmas gathering, some kind of party that you had, but they passed away, they've died. You're not going to get to see them. And so this season brings in, sweeps in this grief that comes around year after year after year in some way or another. And this year is going to be different because in the midst of a pandemic, there's going to be other people who are alive that we're not going to be able to see. And that's going to bring its own level of grief with it and its own level of struggle with it. And so the question is, what are we doing with these emotions, these dark emotions? Are we, are we making them dark emotions by pushing them aside, pushing them into the dark so that we can ignore them because we don't want to feel them? This is an important piece. These, this, this sadness, this grief, this despair, these things, right? these dark emotions. We're genuinely terrified of them, I think. That we want to avoid them at all costs. I remember talking with someone who lost someone they loved uh, very deeply. And what I noticed is that they, they weren't grieving at all. They weren't feeling sad at all. They were just kind of going, going, going. Like the blues song said at the very beginning. Right? That I just, I got to keep on moving. I got to keep on moving. I think we all know people like that who, who if. If I just don't stand still, then, then I don't have to feel this thing. If I don't stand still, I don't have to feel this thing. And this person's family, their friends, they noticed all this. Uh, yeah, this person isn't processing this. They aren't working through it. They're not allowing them to, them to feel it. And you know what happens? we talked about this before, that when you don't feel these emotions, when you don't work through them, what happens is you either get bitter when you don't work through them, or if you work through them, you get better. When you go through suffering, you go through pain. When you go through grief, you get bitter, you get better. Or as Richard Rohr says, you can either transform your pain. If you don't transform your pain, you will transmit your pain to everyone around you. And for this person, it was oozing out of them. They didn't even realize. They didn't even realize that this pain was just coming out of them. And everyone saw it. And everyone was experiencing it. And so I talked to them and I said, why are you avoiding this? Why are you you not just acknowledging the pain and the hurt that you're feeling from this person you love so much? And they said, because I'm scared if I feel that, I'll get stuck in it, and I will never come back out. The fear of being stuck in despair, stuck in darkness, stuck in pain and grief. I'm scared I won't come back out. But the thing about grief and pain and these dark emotions is that I'm not sure we want to come back out. You know, when you, when you come in contact with something like that, something painful, something that hurts, it's always going to change you. There's no going back to the way things were before in any way. There's no, none of you, yourself, going back to the way things were before. So why would you go in and try and come back? I think the transformation comes when we go through all the way through it, not in and back out, not down into it and back up, but all the way through, all the way through, all the way through the emotions. And when we push them into the dark and ignore them, we're not going through them at all. They've touched us and they've left a mark and we haven't followed through to be transformed by it. So Miriam Greenspan, she says, there are no dark emotions. There are only unskilled ways of dealing with emotions we cannot bear. Right? There are only unskilled ways of dealing with emotions we cannot bear. That so There are no bad emotions, no dark emotions. We can try and hide the emotions, but they always come back. What do you think happens when you're in the dark? These things come bubbling up because that's where we put them. That's why at the darkest time of the year, in a year that's been so dark for us, all these things are coming back up in our bodies and in our hearts and in our minds because this is where we've put them. We've put them in the dark, but we encounter the dark every day. Every 24-hour cycle, there's darkness. Every year, there's a season of darkness. We don't get rid of these things. The, the, the best way is to go through them, all the way through them, to experience that transformation. And so the emotions themselves, I just want to make this clear, the emotions are not good or bad. Feelings are not good or bad, right? Emotions are actually just, they're these like conduits of pure energy and what they want us to do is notice them, pay attention to them because they're trying to get our attention. They're trying to wake us up. They're trying to show us something. They're trying to move us somewhere. They're trying to break the ice around our hearts and make us more loving. They're they're doing something. They're trying to help us in some way if we would acknowledge them, if we would work with them, if we would try to move through them instead of pushing back on them. And I think this is the story of Joseph. This is the story. This is the thing he's going through. Right? In the light of day, he's angry with Mary. He's frustrated with Mary. This is why he's going to call off the marriage. Right? The, the Greek says, uh, uh, well, in the English, most of our translations say that he was, while he was pondering this or while he was thinking about this, the Greek I've told you this before. The Greek says uh, the better translation is while he was fuming about this, while he's frustrated about this. In the light of day, he's angry. He's got this feeling that he's been wronged. And then comes the night while he's laying in bed. And you know what happens at night when you're angry, right? It's hard to go to sleep. You, You toss and you turn. And all these things, you're replaying the day in your head. You're replaying what you could have said or what you should have done. But anger is an emotion too and it's trying to tell you something else as well. And I wonder what else it was trying to tell Joseph. Why was he angry? What do you think came bubbling up at night when you laid in bed? Maybe sadness, maybe grief, maybe hurt. And why would he feel those things? Why would those emotions come up? Well, maybe because he actually liked Mary. Maybe because over the time they had spent together, he had fallen in love with her, and he'd been hurt by this. And so all these feelings, so yeah, these feelings come up in the dark. And what do you do in the dark? I can just imagine him getting up and turning the fan on. It's too quiet here. Let me, let me turn the fan on so I don't have to think about this that's not working. Let me turn the TV on. Let me flip through the stations. Let me have a little bit of light. Let me put let me put Friends on. That's a great show that you could just do anything to. Let me put Friends on so there's some other voices in the background and I don't have to pay attention to these dark emotions that have shown up in this night. All the ways he's ignored these feelings, right? The darkness has been holding on to them and reveal them to him. And then comes the angel. I think this is the piece that's really important, is that in the dark, there aren't just these emotions we're afraid of, these things we're scared of. There's something deeper. The thing they're trying to tell us, the thing they're trying to get us to notice, the thing they're trying to get us to do, wake up to, realize, recognize, not learn anything new, but recognize what we already knew, but we had been ignoring the whole time. And this angel in this dream, this is what it says. You remember? It says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. In the midst of all these emotions Joseph is feeling, this angel in his dream says, don't be afraid to do this thing. Why would the angel tell him that unless he wanted to be with Mary? Somewhere deep down in his bones, somewhere in his heart, somewhere in his soul, somewhere in his spirit, somewhere in his body, right? There's a rumbling there that he didn't notice in the light. There's a rumbling there he didn't notice in the anger. There's a rumbling there he didn't notice in the sadness and the grief and the frustration, but the darkness knew it. And the darkness calls it up because he sat with it, because he stayed in the dark, because he was going to go all the way through, kind of forced to. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. It's like he knew he was called to do this. Something in him is like, yeah, this is it. I know this, this seems crazy in so many ways. But for him, that was the truth in him. That was what he needed to do. That was what led him to say yes. And that's what brought him peace in the midst of the darkness, that this darkness actually brought him peace. You think if he'd walked around the light all day, he would have ever gotten to the resolution of, hmm, maybe I'm just grieving, maybe I'm really sad, maybe I really do love Mary, and maybe I should be with her. I don't think so. We ignore things in the light that are subtle and quiet, but they're enhanced in the darkness, these rumblings in our bodies and in our hearts and our souls. There's a woman I talked to a few weeks ago who said when her husband passed away, she was just overwhelmed by grief. She, she just couldn't do anything. She was so hurt. And it took time for her to work through that process, and, and one day a friend came and said, hey, will you come and help me at the prison? Help me with this prison ministry. And she she said yes because she had been paying attention to her feelings and her emotions, the sadness and this grief. What is the sadness telling me? What is the grief telling me? What is the frustration? Tell- oh, maybe the sadness is telling me that I'm a, I feel lonely and I miss my husband. And so maybe I need some more contact, some more connection with people, some other ways of being with. What, what, what else is it telling me? Well, maybe it's telling me I miss helping out. I miss laughing with people. Maybe, maybe I miss making meals. Maybe I miss just going on adventures and trips. Right? Our emotions are trying to tell us something, teach us something, wake us up in some way. And so my hope and my prayer is you're going to pay attention to the dark, that you're not going to run from it, that you're not going to put all your emotions in the dark. And when you're in the dark and these things come up, you notice them and say, what are they telling me? Because God speaks, I want to say maybe most well, most clearly to us in the dark, where things are quiet, where things are brought up a notch, things are enhanced. And that doesn't mean it's pain-free. You know, I came across this tweet the other day, and um, this woman, Jennifer, she says, people talk about caterpillars becoming butterflies as though they just go into a cocoon, slap on wings, and they're good to go. Caterpillars have to dissolve into a disgusting pile of goo to become butterflies, So if you're a mess wrapped up in blankets right now, keep going. All right, no one said this is an easy process. No one said it's pain-free, but I'm telling you there is hope in the darkness and there is peace that the darkness brings us. In this restlessness and in this despair, there's peace there. If you will go all the way through, if you will stay with it, go all the way through because God's waiting to show you what's deep down there inside of you, the truth that you're holding on to that maybe has been too quiet and too subtle for you to notice. This is a gift God offered to Joseph, and he got to help bring Christ into the world, and this is a gift God gives to us, and if we will listen to it, if we will pay attention to it, we also will get to help bring Christ into the world as we live into our call and our gift. This is the gift of the darkness, that it gives us peace. And so my prayer is that you will find it. As you go all the way through, I invite you to take your hands, put them palms up on your lap, and let's say a prayer together. God, we give you thanks for the ways you work and move in the dark, how you use the darkness to enhance things maybe we're not always paying attention to in the light. And so, speak to us, work into us, help us pay attention to these rumblings in our bodies and our souls so that we could find some peace that the darkness brings the call you've placed in our lives, deep that we've always knew, but we weren't paying attention to. And so we offer this prayer and the prayer of our hearts to you through Christ. Amen.